Thanks for downloading this podcast from RNIB Connect Radio. Nikki Greenhill is an international blind paradressage rider who was diagnosed with a sight condition at the age of 10. However, Nikki's never allowed her sight loss to hold her back. And with just narrowly missing out on the 2016 Paralympics, Nikki has her sights set on Tokyo 2020. And she joins me on the line now. Nikki, thank you very much for joining us here on RNIB Connect Radio. Now, you were diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa at the age of 10. Tell us a bit about your condition. I was actually, I've only realised in the last few years, I was actually wrongly diagnosed. I have a condition called Stargardt. It affects the retina of the eye and gradually over years it's a deteriorating condition and you lose your central vision so I don't have any central vision at all. Mine seems to be particularly severe for reasons nobody knows so I just have a small amount of peripheral vision which really I can just see shapes but only sort of I suppose, contrasting shapes, if that makes sense. Yes, I actually, my best friend has Stargardt's, and it's actually a condition that's pretty rare. Um, you know, I've only come across it since working here at the radio station, but that must have been a bit of a shock for you, you know, after being told from the age of 10 that you had retinitis pigmentosa, which is, of course, an inherited eye condition, that it was, in fact, Stargardt's. It didn't really matter, actually. I only, I only, the only reason I found out is because I went to have a genetic test because I wanted to put myself forward for, you know, if there was any research or anything like that that I could get involved in. And then that's when they found it. And, and when we were looking it up, we were like, I don't know, the way this is progressing, it doesn't seem to be progressing like, like RP would do. And then it obviously came back with a faulty gene and it was confirmed that I had Stargardt. But nobody in my family has any condition. So no one really knows how I've got it. They do say it can actually skip a generation. So yeah, it's... Yeah. it's one of those conditions that is very difficult to diagnose as well. How did it affect you growing up? It's difficult. I think there are pros and cons of losing it gradually and I think it must be considerably harder if you were fully sighted to go to nothing, which I know um, you'll appreciate that's the situation you were in. But for me, it was quite difficult because you sort of learn to live with your reduced vision and then you just get used to that and then you lose a little bit more and you have to start that learning process all over again. So that's been the hardest thing for me. But the degeneration is so slow, you don't sort of realise until you come to do something and you're like, oh, hang on a minute, I, I, I used to be able to see that. So that's been quite difficult. Do you know, Nikki, it's, it's funny you say that because I know you said that I lost my sight very, very quickly and I do actually agree with you in that I think losing your sight slowly must be much more frustrating. I'm not saying that, you know, for people who lose their sight quickly, it's it's better or worse. There's no better or worse in either scenario. But I do think that it must be more frustrating watching it go gradually. Well, I think it's harder in some ways because you never plateau. I don't even know whether this is as bad as my sight's going to get, and I don't want to know, so I've never asked. But it's always just finding a new way of coping. I suppose if you lose your sight suddenly, although it must be horrendous at the time, you then have to cope and that's it. It doesn't change from there. Neither's great. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate that. And it wasn't, in fact, until you were in your early 20s that the majority of your sight went. One eye went first and then yeah, the other. Yeah, one eye went first. I, I, I remember vividly like looking at a piece of paper, touching that eye, thinking, I can't, I can't read anymore with that eye. And then my mum would sort of say, well, maybe we need to get large print. I'm like, no, it doesn't make any difference. And then I can't even remember when the other eye went. But that, that's sort of a big shock when actually you can't read anymore. Obviously, that's a massive thing to lose. Of course. Now, going back to your childhood, I mean, you've never allowed your sight problems to, to hold you back at all. You fell in love with horses at the age of eight years old. You That was when you went for your first riding lesson. I did, yeah. A long time ago now, but yeah. <laughs> 
Horses are absolutely incredible. I know from growing up with horses myself, I loved being around the stables. I loved getting into my jodhpurs. I loved getting, you know, mucky and dirty and being out there all day. It was such an amazing thing to do as a child. Yeah, I spent, my sight was never normal, but I was just short-sighted then and nobody really knew any of what was going on. So I was just, you know, a normal kid going to the stables every weekend, but I'd be there from dawn till dusk and I just I just loved it and I knew that's what I, I wanted to do um, so I wanted a career with horses you know before I knew whether what my sight was going to be like and I believe you actually got your own horse your first horse at the age of 14 I did yeah I was really really lucky um, we found a, a horse that was sort of semi-retiring and um, I had him which I learned loads on um, so actually I, I used to show jump when I was younger that was my passion so um, I show jumped all the way until I was about 20, I think. Yes, you competed on behalf of your school and you were very, very successful with the show jumping, weren't you? Yeah, no, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I used to terrify my mum. She never could watch any of it. She'd be turning, facing the other way, <laughs> praying that I was still on. But yeah, it, it obviously became more and more difficult the more I lost my sight. And I was like, I can't quite see these fences very well anymore. But And equally, I think as you grow up, you prefer to uh, keep all feet on the floor. <laughs> Yes, there is an el- not so fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there is an element of that, but I know that the, your sight deteriorating was one of the reasons that you also decided to try out the para dressage. Yeah, it was, but it, it did take me a long time. I think partly because I wouldn't accept the fact it was happening, and I think para dressage has made me accept that. And I think until I started to do that, I, I didn't accept it. Um, you know, I was carrying on determined that I was going to fit in and you know nothing was different so I fought it for a long long time and then eventually I had a horse that actually he wouldn't let anybody else get on him so I'm like well maybe I'll give it a go because you know what else am I going to do with him and I've always been so competitive so it's been an amazing opportunity for me to be able to carry on my competitive career I mean now I compete a lot able-bodied as well but yeah it's, it's been an amazing journey. It certainly has, and we'll go on to talk about that in a minute. But tell us a bit about the fact that dressage is so different from show jumping. And I know that from having my sight and doing dressage myself as a sighted person, it's very disciplined. It's very beautiful. It's a very, very beautiful thing to watch. But how did you go about learning how to become a a para-dressage writer? I mean, was it difficult? No, the transition over wasn't difficult because when you are show jumping, there's always an element of dressage in there anyway. So I was doing a lot of that at home anyway and I went through quite a long period of time where I was training the horses at home but then I had somebody else compete them for me. So no, because the transition was quite slow, I didn't find it that difficult. And what about competition-wise? I mean, you you first started uh, in competition when you were 30 and were phenomenally successful very, very quickly. Yeah, I did, actually. I went, I remember I went to my first para dressage competition. Um, I thought it was dreadful and I actually, I won it. So I was completely shocked. And then I won my first national championships I did. And then I really quickly sort of went to the top, which which was great. But equally, it it was quite a hard thing to deal with. Um, I was so inexperienced and yet I was, you know, competing against all the big guys I'd seen on the telly and everything and that took a little bit of while to adjust to that. I bet it did. And I know that you were riding in a particular grade. Can you explain the grades to people who may not understand? Because, you know, your level of sight has a lot to do with the people you can compete with, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But actually in equestrian sport, because there aren't enough competitors, you don't, you aren't classified with other blind or partially sighted riders because there just wouldn't be enough enough people in the class. So 
um, it works slightly differently for us. So there's actually there's five grades, they're called, 1A through to 5, and 1A is the most disabled and 4 is the least disabled. So visually impaired riders can either be a grade 3 or a grade 4. Now, grade 3 is classed as having no useful vision, which is what I'm in, um, and grade 4 is for partially sighted. Um, but at grade three, which I think is similar to quite a few other blind sports, you have to wear black type glasses or a blindfold. So to start with, I didn't want to do that because um, I thought, no, I want to keep every little bit of sight that I've got. And I terrified myself a bit trying to do that quite quickly to start with. So I competed as a grade four. And then somebody said to me, oh, well, if you want to go, if you want to have the opportunity to ride in London at the Olympic, you will only be sent there if you, you are competing at your grade. So I thought, OK. I'm going to have to do this, and um, I decided then to make the change to grade three. Um, actually, I didn't make it to London. I made it as a reserve, but I didn't make it to London anyway. Um, but I think it was the best transition because I was just too disadvantaged competing against the guys um, that are partially sighted, and a lot of the other riders, you know, the disability isn't isn't that great. That must have actually been terrifying the first time you had to put on a pair of blackout glasses or a blindfold because, you know, as much as uh, you don't really have any useful sight, do you, Nikki? Um, you've got a little peripheral vision and a little light perception. And I know from, from, you know, even the two weeks where I was losing my sight, the tiny corner that I had towards the end meant the world to me. And when that went out, it felt like, you know, my whole world had collapsed. Yeah, it, 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 it is hard. And I started off, um, the rule actually to start with was only a blindfold. Um, so I started off with that and, and that I got quite terrified because I think the fact of just having your eyes closed, it's not even that it's black, black, it's the fact that your eyes are closed and you sort of feel a bit suffocated and I got quite scared with that and I managed to um, get them to change the rule, which was the same as the international rule, that you could wear black type glasses, which is now what I ride in, which isn't really an awful lot of difference to my sight now, but it just means that it lets a little bit of light in around the edges, so it just keeps my... I don't know, my balance and my orientation, whatever, is, is better with that. So I'm happy with that now. Well, I know that you have a beautiful horse uh, that you're working with at the moment called Eddie. Tell us a bit about him. Yeah, I've got two horses. I'm very fortunate to have two horses, actually. Um, my top horse that I've done, um, my competing over the last couple of years, is Greg. Um, and the horse that I've got coming up behind him, who hopefully is going to take over from him, is Ed. And they're both huge um they're both nearly black and uh i've had ed now for four years greg for two and a half years so i know them quite well and yeah we, we've got a, an amazing relationship you know i'm listening to you talking about your horses and your your lover para dressage and it makes me really wish that i kept it up uh, one of the first people i met as a blind person, a newly blind person myself, was a lady called Joan Salmon. She competed in the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. Okay. And uh, unfortunately, you know, she's she's no longer with us, but she was an amazing lady. And she kind of really tried to talk me into it. And I think just at the time, I was so kind of nervous about um, everything that was going on in my life and, and not knowing what I was going to do or how I was going to go about it. Uh, plus then I moved back from Ireland to Scotland where the emphasis on horse riding just wasn't there anymore because I was living in a city, uh, whereas I'd grown up in the country sort of knee deep in 
horse dung. So, <laughs> you know, it, it was a huge change for me. And uh, it's only listening to you now that I think, gosh, I really wish that I'd, you know, followed Joan's example at the time and, and yeah. gone on to do it because it's yeah, such yeah. a beautiful thing to do. And so it's, it's quite it's quite exhilarating. It's the same sort of feeling as when I'm, I've got a guide dog as well. And, you know, when you're using a, an animal's eyes to see for you, it's, it's quite an, an amazing feeling. Oh, it definitely is. It definitely is. So listen, what are your plans for the future then? I mean, you know, we've, we've just seen how well the Paralympic dressage team have done in Rio. Have you got any plans for the next Olympic Games? Um, yeah, I mean, I was really um, focusing on Rio. We've been focusing on Rio since London. Um, so I've had a, a difficult year, should I say. My top horse has had um, quite a few injuries and unfortunately I didn't get to go, which was quite gutting because um, you worked towards this for four years but they did amazingly well so you know everybody's super proud of them so now it's all you know it's a four-year cycle starts again um our next major championships will be the europeans in september next year and then everything really is is aimed towards tokyo now Fantastic. Well, Nikki, we shall be rooting for you all the way. I do hope you get there and uh, we'll need to keep in touch with you over the next few years and find out how you're getting on. But for now, thank you so very much for joining us here on RNIB Connect Radio. Thank you very much. For more downloads like these, visit rnibconnectradio.org.uk slash podcasts.